podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? A solid five and a half out of ten. How are you yourself? I'm probably more of a four out of ten at the moment because I'm very frustrated with my immobility. I'm uh, sore from having to make my way up and down stairs in awkward and newly creative ways. And my football team are currently playing like shit, so you know. There's not much good going on. Um, Liverpool played Everton at the weekend. We talked about it on Raw. We don't need to talk about it again. That game is over. It's gone. Let's leave it behind us. But there is not much in the way of respite. Liverpool play Napoli this week on Wednesday in the Champions League in Naples, where we have struggled in the past. And uh, I'm not going to lie, Carl, I'm absolutely terrified because they look really, really good at the minute and very, very scary in attack. Yeah, uh, I mean, you started off this pod by saying, let's leave it behind us. And my, my fear is we'll be, we'll be saying exactly the same thing after midweek, to be perfectly honest. They are not just in good form, but they look really cohesive already. They've got a really good structure um, already. Uh, they've got... Two signings who are not just gelling but excelling already. They have got just a really, really very fun looking sides. I mean, Napoli, we've played them a good few times and it's always been like a real grind. It's been a horrible match. It's been something where you just cannot get started in your own football and you have to just put up with them doing what they do. But this is a different Napoli team now. This is a really much more adventurous looking side a much more open at times I will say that they do look a little bit more open but overall they've got a really good balance they've got key players who just look at the top of their game better than I've ever seen them and they've got one player in particular who we will get to in due course who looks better than uh, most players I've seen this season to be perfectly honest he he might well be the best (laughs) player in the world right now (laughs) oh Jesus Christ consider this is a guy who I had watched Let's say twice, I'm going to say. Maybe more yeah. than I hadn't noticed, but probably just twice at international level. Never at club level. And is suddenly Ballon d'Or position number one at the moment. But we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, his his name stands out a mile. And because of that, it was quite, you know, one of those kind of fascination things. Of, well, who's this kid that people are talking about? And he was playing for Ruben Kazan. So I wasn't going to sit and watch Ruben Kazan games. So I remember spending probably three hours watching every compilation I could find of him, watching bits of him on on Wisecout, and thinking, geez, this lad might be something. I don't know what he'll be, but he might be something. He's six foot, he dribbles really well. He's got a rasper of a shot off his right foot. It'll be interesting. And then he sort of just dipped out of my consciousness, and all of a sudden, 
he was signing for Napoli in the summer, and I was like, oh, he's interesting. I wonder, wonder how he'll do going there to replace Insigne. So you'll note I haven't attempted to pronounce his name yet. I'm saving that delight for later because I will butcher it. Um, but Napoli had a massive summer this year, Carl, and a lot of important outgoings. Lorenzo Insigne, club captain, club legend, he's gone. Uh, Fauzi Gollum, he's gone. Dries Merton, another club legend, he's gone. David Ospina, he's gone. Kaladu Koulibaly, another club legend, he's gone to Chelsea, obviously, and has had a little bit of a ropey start to the Premier League, it must be noted. Um, Fabian Ruiz, I think, is a massive blow to them. He's gone to PSG, and Adam Unis, who'd been on loan a few times. But coming in the door, Matthias Oliveira, Uruguayan left back, really good player. They made Zambo Anguisa's deal with, where he was on loan last season. They made that permanent. Uh, our friend from Georgia, they signed him for 10 million euro bargain. Leo Ostergaard, who's a really good centre back, was at Brighton, had loans at Stoke, Coventry, and Genoa, and was pretty impressive on them all. I don't know why Brighton sold him, and especially at that price. Kim Min Jae was the big defensive addition. He arrived from Fenerbahce and uh, to replace Koulibaly and already looks impressive. Uh, Salvador Sirigu, experienced goalkeeper, he arrived on a free. Giovanni Simeone, son of Diego, he's arrived from Hellas Verona on a loan with an option to buy. And then the two that are really interesting to me anyway. Tangai Endembele, in on loan from Tottenham immensely gifted, but obviously it didn't work at Tottenham, and there's been question marks about his work ethic and things like that. And Giacomo Raspadori from Sassuolo, who's one of the most exciting young players in Syria, and they've gotten him in on a loan with an obligation to buy next summer. And I think they've done brilliantly bringing in players to replace the legends that they lost and actually improve the squad as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I suspect that maybe they're actually a little bit ahead of where they thought they might be at this point, considering the the number and the standing of some of those players. I mean, even if you just consider Koulibaly and Senior and Mertens alone, that's that's a hell of a dressing room to replace, let alone the, the what they've contributed on the pitch, obviously. Um, but I think probably one or two of them have maybe started much better than they could have possibly hoped for. Um, I think Kim has been sensational in defence. I mean, I hadn't seen too much of him, to be fair, uh, while he was at um, uh, Fenerbahce, but he is absolutely massive. He's really good in the air. His positional work, I think, can maybe improve, but maybe that's a little bit to do with, obviously, a new partner. He's partnering Rahmani at the back most of the time. Um, so I, I do like the partnership, what that gives them. Really, really strong, the two of them. Um really, really look good, to be honest. I just think there's a very, very good balance in the team. But a lot of that does come from, and I suppose we best move on to him now and discuss him a bit, Kvicek Kvaratskhelia. So a Georgian international already. He's 21 years of age. He plays left wing for them more often than not, but that's just a starting role for them. He will pop up in a, a 10 role sometimes. He will run beyond the forwards. This is a sensational player. Very, very explosive. Very, very uh, impactful in, in short bursts at the moment. He's very much the conduit for them in attack. Um, I want to touch on one midfielder in particular uh, shortly, but let's just stick with the, the front line at the minute because that's what's undergone the biggest transformation. 
and Crouch Gelly, I think, is a very, very difficult player to stop. He's definitely right-footed, but he's very happy to go on the outside and go left foot for a shot across goal. You mentioned his shooting before. It's an absolute thunderbolt. He loves a strike from range, but even from like close in, he's a, he's a decent finisher, and he will still hit it really hard. Uh, this is a guy who... I mean, <laughs> you mentioned watching compilations of him. I can imagine that they are very, very easy to do because he is oh, such... Yeah. He's such a... Uh, an exciting visual player when he's on the ball. His movement is pretty good. He picks places uh, in between the lines like, to, to pick up really good space. He's not just very one-dimensional at all with his play. He's not just a, an inside forward who's going to cut in and shoot. That's not his game. It's a, it's a big big attribute of his, but it's definitely not what he is all about. Uh, his little one-touch combination plays are really good as well. I think he brings a really nice alternative part of the attack to Victor Osimhen, who... We've spoken about before, but again this yeah. season, I think he looks just sensational. What a player he is! He is an absolute bully. Um, his channel running is so so good. His hold up play is, I would be tempted to say, among the top three or four in Europe at the minute of centre forwards. Um, his first touch, his chest control, his ability to go past players is non stop attacking of defenders when they have the ball, closing them down really really aggressively. And obviously, he's a very, very good finisher in his own right as well. That is two-thirds of what is a very, very exciting forward line. The other one at the minute is, more often than not, Irv Lozano, the Mexican. Um, I don't think he's progressed as much as he should have done. I don't think he's no, quite he reached the, lights that, uh, the, the heights that he was definitely capable of. But at the minute, they have quite a few options for that side. And he actually went off injured at the weekend as well. So we probably won't see him against Liverpool. Um, but Matteo Politano is another really good option that they have for that far side. You mentioned Simeone, who we know can play across the forward line if he needs to. Um, so they've got loads of options there. They've built a really quite deep squad, I think. I think there's definitely mm. a few areas in the team which the, the the start and position is up for grabs. I think Anguissas is one of those, to be honest. They're box-to-box sort of -box midfield. Um, but there are a few really key players throughout that spine who are already in very, very strong form this season. Yeah, Osterman is is special, and I, as much as I love Darwin, I think he's going to be great for us. He would have been my first choice Me too. for us to bring in as a striker in the summer. I think after Haaland and Mbappe, he's the best of the young strikers in world football. I think he's ahead of Darwin. I think he's ahead of Vlahovic and Skamica and whoever else that people want to throw in. I, I think he's the third best, say, under-25 forward in world football. Um, Kavicha is hes a sensation. And do you know what he reminds me of with his build, the skill level, the fact that the ball absolutely flies off his boot, he's fairly two-footed. But he's also really strong. And he's not easy to knock off the ball. He reminds me of David Ginola or David Ginola. Now, he's not as... There was a grace to Ginola that was just quite unique and an aura about Ginola when he picked the ball up. But there's a lot of Kavicha's game that reminds me of him. Like you said, Chucky Lozano's been playing on the right and he has stagnated. Napoli was the wrong club for him to go to because he went to a club with Dries Mertens and with Insigne and it was tough for them to play three small forwards. And then obviously when they got... Um, Osman, things changed again, and he was sort of in and out and playing as a rotation player. And uh, 
he just didn't didn't develop the way he was expected to. Now, my expectation is that Raspadori will nail down that spot. I know he primarily played on the left at Sassuolo, but I think he'll play on the right for them. And um, he's he's a really good crosser of the ball, so that, that could be worthwhile with Osman's aerial ability. Zielinski's playing the 10. I think that's a good role for him, but I also think it could be the best role for Endombele in this team if he's to become a first-choice starter. And they do have an option to buy him for, I think, 30 million euros. But Zielinski offers a lot of pressing. He's decent on the ball, good off the ball. So it's a very formidable front four on and off the ball, players that can offer quite a lot. In central midfield, then, you've got Anguissa, who started the season a little bit iffy, but I think is a really good player. They've also got Elif Almaz, who I I like. He's the Macedonian international. He's a good player as well, young midfielder. They brought him real young. He can come in and and add quite a lot. And then they've got Lebotka, who's sort of... I suppose he's the one that does a lot of the dirty work for them. And he's been, he's been sensational. He he has been unbelievably good this season. It's taken him he's been at Napoli now two years, and it's taken him a little bit of time to really kind of find his groove, but since the start of this year, I I do think he has been tremendous and really started to show why they spent quite a lot of money, twenty million, to bring him in a couple of years back. Yeah, um, I mean they've they've sort of flitted between four two three one with the ten as Zielinski and a four three three as well mm. um, against Lazio at the weekend. It was quite notable. As soon as they lost possession, it was very much a three. And then Lobotka is your, your deepest one there, your six. Uh, oh God, I think he's absolutely brilliant. I think he has been one of the the better deeper midfielders around Europe's top five leagues um, since probably halfway through last season, to be honest. Um, really, really good on the ball in terms of taking it under pressure, evading that first challenge, and then finding a very, very clever pass. He's not, I wouldn't say, a creative passer, but he just picks the right pass every single time, whether that is just onto the uh, onto the, one of the eights next to him who can then run with it into space or playing it between the lines and taking out three or four players. It looks a really simple pass because it's like quite often just a, literally a pass ahead of himself, but it is between like two or three for someone on the turn, Zielinski on the turn. He's very progressive, isn't he? He's really, really good at finding spaces uh, to pass through. And he doesn't mind holding on to it at all. You know, he's he's perfectly happy to turn away from a challenge, turn away from another one, and then go simple to someone else who's in space again. And it's one of the key ways that Napoli are able to progress from you know being in defensive possession to building counterattacks then or building uh, from possession from deep as well. He's a really, really important player for them. He is quite small um, for you know in terms of the stature that we would normally look mm. at for a, a big, powerful defensive midfielder and all the rest of it. But he, he doesn't lack for any defensive awareness at all. His positional play is pretty good. He's very reserved with his positional work, I think, in terms of when uh, Lazio, Lazio, Napoli are breaking forward, obviously, and trying to counter with numbers. He's, he's still quite level-headed about where he goes, which was not really the case when I watched him at Celta Vigo before he went to Italy, obviously. He was a little bit more... Uh, impetuous, I think, with his forward movement and probably not as diligent on the ball either, but obviously it wasn't as good a side either. Celta struggled a bit while he was there. Um, so yeah, I think uh, the, the Zamo Angisa is probably the one which is up for grabs the most at the minute. Like you say, he, he's a very impactful sort of box-to-box when they use him in the in the three especially. Um, and then you've got a little bit more of an advanced 
playmaking, link playing, all that kind of thing from Zielinski. And Zielinski's the one who gets in the box. But I think if they want to get the best out of Ndombele, for example, I'm not sure it would be Zielinski who comes out of the team. I think it would be Zalman Gisa because I think he's less consistent. I think he's uh, in the games where you know you're going to dominate possession, maybe you want Ndombele to try and pick up ball in dangerous areas, that kind of thing. But again, like you said, you picked out Elmas. There's Raspadori, who we mentioned as well. Mm-hmm. Simeone has not really had too much of a look in so far. It's the depth that they've got here, which is most impressive, I think, at this point. Um, yeah, they've got a the young midfielder, Gaetano, as well, who they're quite excited about. He was at Cremonese the last couple of years. He's quite good as well in, in, in those midfield areas. So, like, there is just... And Diego Demay is still there. I mean, I'm not a not a huge fan, but you know, he he's a, a a fighting type of player who will give his all and will give you a solid six or seven out of ten pretty much every game. So they do have a ton of options in the midfield and attack, which wasn't the case for Napoli over the last few years. Yeah, and even in defence, you mentioned Ostergaard, who's obviously third choice at the minute. Still got Juan Jesus as well uh, as another defensive option. Let's let's not get too carried away now. When we're talking about. <laughs> thought, thought you might enjoy that one. Um, um, Raspadori, I wonder where he's going to fit because I, I see him more as a second forward rather than a, a wide attacker. So at, at the minute, I think he's kind of being used to to rest Gallia and the rest of them uh, later on in matches if they win and that sort of thing. I wonder whether Politano might be the the Lozano alternative for now. He's, he's quite a reliable player. I don't mind him more now, I think, than earlier in his career when he was supposed to be a bit more exciting and explosive, and I don't really think he did too much. But I do think he's a good um, sort of support forward wide player coming in off the sides now. Yeah, I think he's he's a really good squad option to have. I just, if Politano was your starter, I think you'd be, you'd be looking at that as the position to upgrade. Um, You've talked about the centre-backs and the partnership looks really good. The area of weakness, in my opinion, in this team is the full-back slots. I don't think Marco Rui is particularly good, uh, but I do think Matthias Oliveira is good, and I expect that at some point he will take that left-back slot. At right-back is the club captain, uh, Giovanni De Lorenzo, who is an Italian international. He's been at Napoli now three years. I, there's just something about him, Carl, that I don't like. I don't know what it is. I just when I watch him play, I always think you're a liability, and I don't know what it is. There's just something about him that I just don't like. Fair enough. Um, I don't like Mario Rui's hair, so there you go. That we don't like something of, of both sides of defence. He's he's really aggressive and he's very um, let's say old style, quite. Diligent defensively in terms of a fullback rather than you know the more modern attack minded one. Whereas I think Di Lorenzo, obviously, as his career has gone on, he's gone further and further back down the pitch. So maybe from a defensive and reliability standpoint, it's probably part of that. He's he's not great as a, as a really attacking fullback. I don't think he was ever a top winger, even when he went to a wing back. I don't think you saw too much out of him other than that ability to get up and down all the time. And he can beat a man sometimes, but. I don't think his delivery is exceptional, certainly not consistently good. Um, but I think that that kind of has allowed them to put a bit of a platform in place, you know, having quite a settled back four with quite aggressive fullbacks. I agree that they are the weakest parts, along with Alex Murray, who I don't think has looked too good this season um, in goal for them. I don't think that he was their first choice to have either. No, he wasn't. Uh, that's they wanted Keylor Navas, didn't they? 
Yeah, that's what they've ended up with. I think there was talk uh, briefly earlier in the season of Kasper Schmeichel and then also of, I completely forget now, there was someone else from the Premier League they were chasing, um, but definitely at least two or three goalkeepers they were chasing to try and have as first choice. But mm. you know, he's, he's, he's capable of good moments and good saves and we all know that keepers love having an absolute worldie on their day against Liverpool in particular. So not someone to discount entirely. Yeah, I mean... When Mary was coming through at Udinese, coming through their academy, there was an awful lot of hype around him. There was him and there was another goalkeeper there whose name escapes me. Um, the, S- S- Simone Scuffe, is that his name? Yes, that's him. These two were like, it was Donnarumma and these two, and that was going to be Italy's three goalkeepers for the long haul. Uh, Scuffe is currently playing for Cluj, in Romania, having been at Apoel in, in Cyprus uh, last season, his career has not gone in any way close to what it was meant to be. And the same thing for Mere. He had the loans at Spal and did well, and then Napoli bought him four years ago. He had, I think he broke his arm early on, and then just David Ospina just took the first choice slot, and that was kind of it. And he was in and out and in and out, and he couldn't get a consistent run, and then when he would get a run at games, he'd make a mistake and he'd be straight out of the team. And I just think they've done a really bad job at developing him because he's clearly a very talented goalkeeper. There's just no consistency about him. Um, their backup options now, Sirigu, I mean, I don't know if you watched uh, much of Genoa last year, but he was absolutely appalling, having had a really bad season at Torino the year before. And they've got a young keeper called uh, Davide Marfella, who I, I don't know, I'm not aware of. Uh, they brought him in from Barry a year ago, apparently. So goalkeeping is definitely some. Uh, the goalkeeping area is definitely something that they will need to address moving forward. But look, this is a long term plan for them. They seem to be very happy with what they have and comfortable with what they'll need to bring in. Like I said, it may be that I think they already have their future left back in Oliveira. So if you were looking at this team and wanting to build it out over the next couple of years, you'd trigger some of the um, the options that they have to keep the players they have on loan. And you'd probably just look for a goalkeeper and a right back and be really, really good, like title winning good potentially. Yeah, I think that in particular because Serie A is quite open this season. Um, I think it's, again, the most wide open uh, league of the top five ones by by quite a considerable distance. I don't think that there's an absolute standout there in terms of um, a squad which is so much better than everybody else's. Uh, I think their 11 can match up to Inter. I think it's probably better than Juventus's, and I think it's almost as good as Milan's. I think the depth will play the biggest role ultimately in who can be champion and obviously who manages European competitions the best and all the rest of it. Um, but it's definitely wide open and you know, a deal or two in January can obviously change things as well. Um, I, I really like the style. I really like the temperament of the group. I very much like Spalletti. He's a manager I've, I've been quite high on for a while. I can't believe it's taken him this long to get another job, to be perfectly honest. Um, he's obviously not the most successful one around, but I, I think that that's partly to do with the clubs who have 
of taking a punt on him and how quickly they've binned him off, to be honest. He, he's very good at team building. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of reason for this Napoli side to be optimistic about this season. You know, there's... I don't like the Juventus squad at all. I don't like what they've put together. I don't like the team no. that they have um, out on a regular basis. I think it's miles away from being an elite side at this moment in time. I think the transfers this summer were pretty rubbish, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think Napoli is a much better a team for the next three years, for example. Uh, they're obviously going to have to keep adding to it. They might lose one of the big parts along the way, like Osimian. So you have to maximise that this year. Um, and for however long you have the rest of these components in the team for. So I, I do think that there's real, real reason for optimism this season. I think, like I say, with Serie A being so wide open, a really good run in the first half of the season could set someone up to be in the mix come March and April. And maybe they go a bit longer into the title fight this year than they managed last time. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I'd say in regards to losing players is is we've seen with De Laurentiis before that if he just doesn't want to sell somebody, he just won't sell them. Um, you know, he kept Kaladu Koulibaly for years when he was been offered 70, 80 million for him because he had decided he wanted 100 million and that was it. And he wasn't going to, to take anything less. Now, obviously, Koulibaly at this point is a little bit, I wouldn't say past his best, but he's definitely right at the end of his peak. And, it was the same thing with um, Insignia as well. He turned down massive offers for him in the past, and then once he felt he, that the club had gotten everything they could out of him, they let him go because that was just the business decision that he made. Um, <clears throat> I agree with you. I think Juventus... I think Juventus, over the last... What year did they sign Cristiano? 2018? I would say over the four years since... They might have been one of the worst-run big clubs in Europe in terms of, not not to the extent of United, who've obviously just been a train wreck, but they've just done so much long-term damage to the club in terms of players that they had, they've now let go. Like They should be playing a centre-back par- partnership of Romero and De Ligt with... Demerel as the third centre-back. And that would be exceptionally strong. And you could build on that for the next eight years. And all of them are gone. And they're still playing Bonucci, who's years past his best. Juve strike me as a club still stuck in a decade ago, or even two decades ago, to be perfectly honest, when you buy the biggest names and they'll sort out your your results, basically. But they were so smart when... When Beppe Morata was running things there, they were so smart in the transfer market. And then Paratici took over and just did untold damage to their finances. I mean, he drove them into near financial ruin. And they've been struggling to get out of that and continuing to compound the errors of his time in charge. I mean, he's the, the boffin that thought it was a good move to give Aaron Ramsey 400 grand a week while also paying... 100 million for a 33-year-old or 34-year-old Cristiano. Just absolutely bizarre things. And like I said, they just keep keep following these things up. And so much of what they've done hasn't made sense. Whereas, you know, Milan have just very quietly gone about and built a really good team. Inter did the same. Now, Conte obviously made some noise when he brought in the likes of 
uh, Lukaku, but you know they they've built a really good team at Inter. Um, they've obviously had some financial problems, which cost them the likes of Hakimi, but they've now got Lukaku back on a loan from Chelsea. And in truth, they could probably loan him for the next three or four years because Chelsea don't want him back. Uh, but, you know, Mourinho's built a, a really good team at Roma. I know they got walloped at the weekend, but Rui, uh, Rui Patricio, I mean, it is just time for someone to put him out of his misery. Atalanta are... I suppose, sort of between iterations of their team. And there seems to be a little bit of um, of flux in terms of, you know, what the team is going to be moving forward. But there's a lot of very talented players there. And you'd certainly take, I think, their squad as a whole over Juve's squad with the balance, with the age profile, with the manager. Um, and Lazio are an interesting team as well, who who obviously... Napoli defeated at the weekend 2-1. But there's a lot of reasons to like that Napoli team. Uh, that Juve team is just disastrous. But this this Napoli team are, are really, really impressive. Top of the league at the moment. Uh, level on points with AC Milan. But they have a better goal difference. They're unbeaten in the league. And in truth, they've been, they've been the best team. Well, they've been the best team that I've seen. Um, and I've, only, I've seen... Two of their games, I haven't, I haven't watched the full games from the others, I just watched the highlights. But they look impressive when they go out on the pitch. And I'm not as big a fan of Spalletti as you, but he's very clearly a good tactician. And he's very clearly got this team playing how he wants them to play. My concern with him is always, I, I think players get to a point with him where they've just had enough of him. Now, whether it's because he's a really hard taskmaster or whether he's a bit of a Brendan Rodgers-type spoofer, I don't know. But he's clearly a good manager who, you know, he's been around, he's been... He's done Roma and Inter, and he had a really, really strong spell at Zenit. Um, yeah, and, you know, he had a couple of spells at Sampdoria, Sampdoria and he was at, he's worked at smaller clubs as well, like Empoli, Venezia, Ancona. He's, he was at Udinese for three years, which is sort of where he made his name. And he's done well... In most places, like he's gotten clubs, he's improved clubs every time he's gone there in recent years. He leaves behind better teams than he takes over. And I mean, that's all you really want from your manager. If he's not going to have the great success, winning titles, winning European Cups, you want him to have, to sorry, to leave a better team than he inherits. And his only real success, he won... Two league titles and a Russian Cup with Zenit, and he won two Italian Cups with Roma. Um, but in a second spell at Roma and at Inter and now at Napoli, he is he has built better teams than he inherited, and I think that's it's quite an admirable trait to have as a manager. Yeah, that's what I say. I, I do think that his biggest trait, really, as a coach, is, is his team building. Like he's always been able to put his sort of way of playing very, very quickly into a group. And I wouldn't say he doesn't make any waves at all within the group because we, within the playing squad, because he has done definitely. Uh, I think Totti probably the, the biggest example or the most notable example, but he does, doesn't really have a problem sort of sideline and someone if he thinks it's for the better of the team. But overall, it's for a positive reason. He's always been very, very quick at getting the team itself on side. Um, trying to show that there's a, a reason behind what he's doing and trying to get buy-in from that person he's left out, for example. And usually it's gone well. There, there is definitely a 
an expiry date, let's say, on his way of doing things. I, I think you mentioned players maybe get tired of him. I think probably coaches, uh, sorry, owners get tired of him as well after a certain point. But I, I like him. I do. I like the way that he does things. I don't think he's uh, causes a big fuss unduly. I don't think he. I think his style of play is usually pretty good as well. He's tactically happy to set things up in a different way if he needs to, but with the same style of football, um, which is something that I, I think is a, a very admirable trait, really, in, in coaches. And it works as well. Uh, he, he's done very well. I think he's capable of winning a title in Italy. I'm not sure he's someone that you'd look at as like a, a top 10 in Europe sort of coach or anything like that. But in how City Art is at the minute, I definitely think he's capable of putting together a, a team play in a way to win the league. Yeah, and I mean, this is going to be probably his best chance because, like you said, Syria is wide open. It is by far, by far the most competitive of the, I think I think it's fair to say it's a big six of leagues now. If we're going to include France, we have to include Portugal. And in Portugal, it's Porto, Benfica and Sporting. It's, it's a close shot. It's, it's, it's not even this season Sporting, let's be honest. No, it's not. But And even the last couple of years, it hasn't been Benfica either. But it's it's one of those three, and there's always one of them who who falls short. In Germany, it's Bayern, and for anyone else to win the league, they need Bayern to have a downturn. In Spain, it's the big three, and even at that, Atleti, it takes a hell of an effort for them to get to the level of Real and Barca. In the Premier League is very much a closed shop right now. It's it's City or Liverpool and nobody else. And in France, it is going to be PSG unless they have an absolutely disastrous season of their own, which is the only way anyone else can win the title there. Whereas with Serie A, it is very open. I mean, realistically, looking at this year, I would say either of the Milan clubs... Roma or Napoli could win the league. And I know Roma's a bit of a stretch, but I think when you look at the quality in that squad and you look at who the manager is and what he's done in the past, I know he's not the same guy, but he's still a proven winner. I think there's four teams there that could win the league. And if Lazio or Juve could get their shit together, they they could make a real push. And Atalanta are always worth mentioning because... They just they do things really well, and Gasparini is a really good manager. Um, a little bit, I suppose, like Spalletti in that he hasn't had the big success, but he is a really good team builder. His teams play really good football. He's not afraid of putting players' noses out of joint, and he's not af- afraid of being quite demanding when need be. So. Um, I think they go into that mix as well. So, like, it is wide open. There's no one team that stands out above the rest. There's, I would say, the two Milan clubs and Napoli, and then a little bit below them, probably Atalanta and Roma. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I do think it's, uh, again, the competition to watch, really, if you want to be watching for excitement and unpredictability, because I think there'll be some really ridiculous results between those sides, but even... Like Udinese, we saw this weekend of absolutely smashed Roma all over the place, just as Roma was starting to look like they've got a way of playing and that it works for them and all that kind of thing. So there's definitely um, 
a lot of uh, mixed up results and everything to come from there. So it's it's definitely one to I think at least keep an eye on like the biggest game of the weekend or something like that if you're only a you know even a casual viewer of European action. Yeah, definitely. And you know, Udinese are the surprise package of the season so far. They sit in the top four. Uh, Andreas Sotel, who was a journeyman player and very much a journeyman manager, uh, took over this year in June and has had an incredibly good start to life as Udinese manager. And Udinese have had some really disappointing seasons in the last couple of years. They were 12th last year. Season before that, they were 14th, 13th the year before that, 12th the year before that. This is a team that would regularly challenge for a European spot and often get a European spot back in their heyday, uh, some of which Spalletti was the manager for. Um, so, yeah, credit to them. They have turned things around. And, and it just makes it very, very interesting. It really does make it interesting. Um, right, let's talk about Liverpool then. So our we injury situation, well, we, we, we do a little bit. <laughs> um, our injury situation is getting better, Carl. That's, that's what we know. Now, we got news yesterday that both Naby Keita and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain have been left out of the Champions League squad. Um, Ox, I think, was predictable because of the injury. Naby, though, I mean, it's just, it's just so vague. It's a muscle injury. Well, what muscle is it? Like, what's actually wrong with him? With Ox, we know it's a thigh injury. What injury does Naby Keita have that means he cannot play in this season's Champions League? It seems like a very strange decision to leave him out, unless it's quite a serious injury. Or there's something else going on, but let's not speculate. Uh, Ibu is out. Klopp says he should be back around the international break, which is a lot longer than Klopp originally said he was likely to be out for. Cuevin uh, Kelleher, they're hoping to have him back in the matchday squad soon, but they don't know when. Thiago Klopp has said will return to training on Monday, which is today. Now, I think this game will come too soon. I think he'll be looking at the weekend. Henderson's out for God knows how long. There's never any real timelines with him because sometimes he recovers really quickly and sometimes he takes an inordinary an inordinarily long time to recover. Uh Fabio Carvalho got a, a dead leg. He should be okay. Ox, like I said, out for a while. Calvin Ramsey, I'm not sure, actually exists anymore. I think we might have been tricked. I think it might have been some sort of long con that was played to pretend that this guy existed and then just, you know, funnel the money out of the club in some nefarious way. And then Naby. So things are getting better. Thiago being back, Jota came off the bench at the weekend is obviously a nice big boost to get. Darwin's back from suspension. It's still not ideal, but it is improved. What are you looking for Liverpool to do in midweek against Napoli because the performance against Everton wasn't acceptable. Are you looking for a big response or do you think the only thing that matters is going and getting a result? 
Uh, no, I, I think we have to concentrate on getting back to playing as we should be, to be honest. Um, I think this is going to be a really difficult game to get a result from in any case. Um, I think there's a bit of a decision to be made in terms of how we want to set up off the ball and trying to pick players accordingly, because I can't imagine that that really came too much into the equation against Everton, judging by the midfield that we picked. don't know why we are not producing the same sort of energy levels in terms of the short intensive sprints that we're used to seeing, the pressing very, very high up with the second and third line very close behind them. Um, there must be reasons for that. The coaches must know what the reasons are for that. And if that is the case, we shouldn't be trying to play in the same way as we have done previously. Uh, one or the other thing has to change. Either you can and it's just not being done and therefore you have to fix it and make sure it does happen or you cannot and you know it can and therefore we need to find a different way of attacking and as a knock-on effect of that of defending because if we don't have the the relentless pressing and the group hunting and all the rest of it well then we probably shouldn't be playing with quite such aggressive number eights and then we probably shouldn't have such a high upfield defensive line it's got to be all in tandem that's how we know it's something that works for us even if it's not quite the ordinary way that's how we've been able to get so close to winning so many titles but if we can't do any one part of it the whole thing falls apart we've seen that over and over again i would like to think that another really pretty disappointing performance to be honest in the derby in a big match it should sort of be the nail in the coffin as to what we do in this season to be honest there has to be a decision made at this point and if we are supposed to be doing things the same way as we have done all the time, I expect to see changes. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's okay just to point to um, injuries that we've had and you know all the rest of it. I know that these things all do have an impact, and I spoke about it in terms of maybe not having the uh, impact on players to put in the best performance levels because there's not the competition for places and all the rest of it. But you still have to provide more than we have done so far. It's still not enough, you know. Mm. <sighs> We've got a few players back who are not going to be involved, let's be honest. Like Jota, I can't imagine that he just comes back from a six, eight-week hamstring injury and starts in his second game back. That's, that's no. not really realistic. Um, even if Henderson or Cater were available, they wouldn't be playing in this game because, again, how we bring them back is not normally just to throw them straight back into the lineup. They're players who need like a, a few games... Uh, sorry, a few days in training, then they might get a bit of time off the bench, then they get the next week as much more of a full-on training week. That's how we've done it historically with this group of coaches, with the manager, with the sports scientists, people that we have, obviously. Yeah, I mean, Klopp always says he wants them to do a certain number of days training Mm -hmm. before he'll consider them available to play because he doesn't want to re-injure them. So, like you say, if, if, if Naby and Henderson were were miraculously fit tomorrow, I don't think Klopp would even consider them as options for Wednesday night. Darwin started, to be honest, for the same reason. Like I know, obviously, it's not been injured. It's a different type of absence. But for similar sorts of reasons, I thought that it would be you know 60 for Firmino, 30 for Darwin off the bench. But the centre-forward one is kind of neither here nor there. I, I think we need to commit to centre midfield being fixed at this point. And whether that means a switch to a double pivot for certain matches, much more fixed rather than just in possession, or whether that means, God knows, taking the you know a bit of a bite on who is going to start in one of those eight roles or something like that. But it can't be just as simple as picking who's who's available like we did against Everton. It was just 
a very, very odd mix and it did not work and it was not acceptable and we can't expect to see Thiago back in for this game, for example. I'd be surprised if he's even used off the bench unless there is a a very, very big need for it or anything like that. So I think... Or if we're 3-0 up and Klopp just wants to see the game out, he might bring him on for 10 minutes. But other than that, I agree. I I don't think he can play. I wouldn't imagine so at all. I mean... Um, So let's... Let's talk about the midfield then, because that is the issue. That has been the issue all season long. Like, it's one thing, the lack of sprinting, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, we're just not playing well enough. Regardless of whether we're playing with a lack of intensity, we're just not playing well enough. And there are issues in multiple areas. We've seen Salah play far too wide. That needs to stop with immediate effect. Because whatever, I don't care what Klopp says in his press conference, Mo is playing wider and staying wider than he has in previous seasons. Like his heat map for the Everton game was literally a chalk on the boots runner, uh, winger who just stayed wide, got the ball and slung it into the box. Like he didn't do anything else other than stay really, really wide. And that's not acceptable. Trent is playing dreadfully like absolutely dreadful stuff from Trent the only player down that right who's playing well is Harvey but I do think it's having a negative effect on the other two now it's not his fault I just think that's that's a flaw in the system at the minute the biggest flaw though has been the lack of balance in midfield and we have seen Fabinho getting unjustly criticized this season for his performances But when you look at, like, say, passing networks and average position charts, he is playing in midfield by himself and has done since Thiago got injured against Fulham. Milner plays it quite advanced and doesn't have the legs to get back. Henderson plays it as if it's some sort of free roll where he can wander wherever he wants and he ends up over on the right wing and gets in people's way, and doesn't have the defensive desire. And Elliot plays it very much as a winger. Oh, sorry, sorry, Carvalho played the left-sided role against Everton, and he also played very advanced, almost like an, an, an old inside left, as if it was a box midfield and he was the left attacking midfielder. And then on the right, you've had Harvey, who's playing very much as a kind of right winger, and in the same areas as Mo and the same areas as Trent. And it's just leaving these massive, massive cavities, both sides of Fab, that he just simply is not able to cover all by himself. And that's why we've continually been exploited through the middle of the pitch. So Jürgen needs to fix that first and foremost. He needs to get balance into this team immediately. And with Thiago un not unavailable, but say not ready to start this game. The only option is to start the man brought in on deadline day, Arthur, who is a... I I don't want to call him a Thiago impersonator because that's a bit dismissive, but he's the one that could do the Thiago role and do it well in our team. And if you have him next to Fab, you'll have a bit more solidity, you'll have more progression from the midfield, you'll have midfielders then that the defence can actually pass the ball into, 
rather than Fab by himself and Everton putting one in front, one behind, so we couldn't pass to him. Um, it's got to be Arthur in midfield with Fab on Wednesday, Carl. Yeah, I mean, assuming that he's you know ready and has trained well, you know things that we have to say and assume because we cannot see day to day. I agree, and part of that obviously is because he's going to be a little bit more familiar with, let's say, Napoli's players and team and how they'll operate and playing in that stadium and all the rest of it because he's been over there for the last couple of years. Uh, so there's a, a, a tiny little advantage to him there. Obviously, we know that European football, in terms of how the match is played out, is a little bit different in terms of the Premier League as well. So again, a slight advantage for him there for that to be his his first uh, outing. Also, I think it's important to try and get him, you know, if we are planning on using him a reasonable amount this season, get him integrated as soon as possible. Because once Thiago comes back, once Henderson comes back, once Curtis Jones is there as well, there's going to be, let's say, limited opportunities to do so. At the very least, he's going to have a much bigger task on his hand to get in ahead of either established players or managerial favourites or whoever it is. You know, There are going to be fewer opportunities to give him a reasonable run out in matches because we need a player to do it, basically, rather than you've got to play well to get that spot in the team, if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I do think that a lot of things point to that. And I think it would also be okay if we wanted to go to a double pivot midfield, that he would sit there as the more progressive partner to Fabinho, sitting a bit more and also a bit more being a, a ratty roving ball winner, which mm. he's very good at doing. Um, if Fabinho is sitting as well, he can do that job in a three as well. No problem with that. He's able to push on a bit more he played the, this sort of left-sided eight role actually for Barcelona for quite a while um, it was not um, a playmaking attack-minded midfield role when he was doing it for them but it was a supporting a connecting role, role. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a connecting supporting ball winning quite harassing sort of mode that he had for them basically his passing was relatively uh, sensible and low-key and basically giving it to somebody else to do all the creative stuff for it, but that was his role. He can play the left eight, no yeah, problem he's at all. playing under a football terrorist in Ernesto <laughs> Valverde, and he's been forced to play under another football terrorist in the last year under Max Allegri. The only purist he's played under was Pirlo, who had no earthly idea what he was doing as a manager. So, yeah, I mean, it, he, he's just the one that makes sense, and if he can do well he can establish himself as the alternative in that role to Thiago. There'll be... uh, Yeah, and and look, and there'll be scope for him to play with Thiago because Thiago has shown he can play that right-sided role really, really well. So in certain games, the manager could use both of them with, um, with Fabinho. So... Can I ask, before, before, we, before we move on past Arta, there was a report out uh, very late yesterday or the day before, I think, which said that we had actually inquired for Zakaria from Juve before Arta. What do you make of that? I believe it to be untrue. I believe, based on the reports I've read from the sort of... Uh, now, it is the local patch journals who had no real insight in this deal. It was all coming from Demarzio. But they've all basically said the same thing, that as soon as the Palace game ended and Henderson was injured. Juve was the first phone call and this was the player we wanted. So it's likely that he's someone that we had in mind anyway because he's someone that we have tracked for years. We were linked with him when he was at Gremio. Um, we were linked with him when he was at Barca and they, they signed Frankie. And there was talk that he could be the one that gets pushed out. 
So I think we've probably had our eye on him for a while. It's obviously looks like a panic signing because we brought him in on deadline day and we were probably going to sit on our hands if Henderson hadn't gotten hurt despite the fact we were screaming out for a couple of midfielders. But I do think he's somebody that the club wanted. I don't think he's just somebody that they would have signed for the sake of it. Zakari is a good player, but for how we play in midfield now, Arthur's just the right fit because we have built a machine that only Thiago really knows how to operate. Naby can can fudge it and at times fudge it really well, but it doesn't look the same as it does when Thiago's at the controls. Whereas, you know, imagine it's a performance of, I don't know, Hamlet or something, and the main actor is not there. So you take someone from a different role, and they do, and they can do it to an extent, and it's okay. But Arthur's like the proper understudy who spent years preparing himself for this role, and he's ready to step in. And he won't be as good as the star, because he's not a star, but he is someone that can do it quite well. And I think when you look at Zakaria, it's hard to see where he'd really fit in how our midfield currently functions. I mean, the best role for him would probably be the Fabinho role, but he's not as good on the ball. He doesn't read the game as well. He doesn't hold his position as well. He couldn't do what Thiago does. And he'd look like a fish out of water playing that right-sided role with the way it's evolved into a more attacking role. So I just don't buy the Zakaria thing. That, to me, would have been a panic signing. Arthur was one that actually made sense. That's fair. I think it was probably a, a rehashed old rumour because it was someone we'd looked at at Gladbach, but I don't think Zakaria's ever got close to his pre-injury levels yet, to be honest. So maybe with Chelsea he'll get a bit of game time, but judging by Tuchel saying he can play wing-back and everywhere else, I have my doubts. I'm guessing Thomas Tuchel has never seen him play. <laughs> because he said he could play centre back and wing back. Like, no, he can't. <laughs> he just can't. It's as simple as to be that. Fair, he didn't say how well he could play it. Yeah, that's true. It's a bit like, well, James Milner can play everywhere. He can't play them well, but he can play in those positions. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think the Zakaria one, I think it's basically just clickbait and it's the rehash of an old rumour. And um, and probably his agent wanting people to think, like, you know, he's still got juice. He's still someone that people are very keen on. But like you said, he's never been close to the same player since that injury. And it's unfortunate because he did look like he was on a really good trajectory. But, you know, when you see that Gladbach binned him off and got Manu Kone, who's sensational, um, you know, you know there's better options out there. Um Right, if it's Arthur and it's Fabinho, which it's, it, I think is what it has to be, who's the third one? Harvey's obviously playing well, but like I said, I do think the way Harvey plays that role or is being told to play that role is having a bit of a negative effect, especially on Mo. Trent's issue might just be that he's out of form. But do we want to overplay Harvey at this early point of the season? If Curtis is fit... Could he interest you in Curtis on the right side of midfield? 
You can always interest me in Curtis on the right side of midfield, but I wonder, because he was left out of the squad, obviously, exactly how close or far away he is mm. to you know being match-ready. And it's you know another one that would be a bit of a surprise if he came from absolutely nowhere to just starting all of a sudden. Start, I know. And like, Personally, what is the injury as well? Because when Klopp talked about it, he didn't give any specifics, but he said it was stress-related, which to me sounded like a stress fracture. And the issue with them is they heal you go back to doing what you were doing and all of a sudden they reappear. And I, I do wonder if he's had a bit of a relapse of it. Yeah, no way of uh, really knowing yet. So hopefully it was just like a case of, well, you can be on the bench last time if you, we really need you to. Yeah, he was on the bench for Newcastle. Someone's just asked in the chat there. So he was, and hopefully that was just a case of, you're not 100%, but we'll put you on the bench to not have, you know, someone out of preschool again and have another toddler on the bench which we've had all season long but last week when we had obviously Matip and Jota come back on we were able to have actual adults and and give Jones a little bit extra time that's what I'm hoping anyway but we will see Um, I think if we stay in the 4-3-3 and try to bludgeon our way through what we've been doing so far it'll be Elliot again but I think it's probably a moment to take him out of the team now not for anything other than one, we need to find a slightly different way of doing things. And two, we need to obviously protect these players when we're now about to be playing every three and four days long. We're going to see more rotation happening now. Um, so Elliot, I think, has been our best player this season. I'm not taking him out for any reason other than we need to do things a bit better and we need to not overplay every single player. So you can't just leave him in just because he's been playing well all the time. This is a very different type of match. This is game where it's not terminal if we get it wrong for example um, obviously the the rest of the group stage to come afterwards so if it's a three yeah i'd be tempted to leave him in because of the other options that we have but i would also be very tempted to go with Firmino behind uh, mm. center forward for this one and just have the double pivot midfield yeah i mean i thought we looked pretty good with the double pivot even though it was Elliot, he didn't really seem to understand what he was meant to be doing in there. Which is totally understandable. He Which is completely understandable. Yeah. Like, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't stop doing any of the work that he had to, but in a two is obviously very, very different. Yeah. You can see he was like, a little bit lost as to what to do at times. And Fab was still left with massive amounts of grass to cover. But with Arthur, he's got a lot of experience playing in a two, and I, I think he'd settle in fine. So I'd actually, I, I would be in favour of, of going 4 2 3 one um, so Ali's put this team in. He's got Allison in goal. Trent, he's brought back Joel Matip. There's one for you. Joe Gomez. What did you think of his performance at Everton? Because I've seen people that had conflicting views of it. I thought he was good, not great, but good. I thought he was a little bit rash at times, but in general, I thought he was quite good. Um, what do you think of his performance, and would you keep him in, or would you bring Joel Matip back in for this one? But Joel, for this one, for exactly the same as I said before, we probably need to start changing a few players around at the minute, and I said that to Guy before the Everton podcast, I'd like to change one defender each time uh, for the next couple of games. So Simicast was my pick for Everton, and Matip for this one. So I know it's two changes, but I mean one change from the regular four as such. So... Um, I would put Matip back in for this one. I think it's, you know, rest Gomez, but also get Matip somewhere back up to full fitness and sharpness levels. Gomez, um, well, but not perfect. No, nowhere near perfect. Like he started off, I think, a little bit lower and got better as the game went on. There were a couple of moments where he just didn't really sort his feet out in time. There was one run quite early on where he didn't make the challenge he needed to. It was a little bit easy to bypass him. 
But then he had some really, really good recovery runs and clearances. He made a couple of really good uh, tackles or blocks on the edge of the box as well. There was one, I think it was Gordon, down the right channel in the second half where it looked like he was going to get away and get clear and Gomez just sped across and robbed him and boshed him out of the way and took the ball really, really clean. So he did a few things very, very nicely. He did a few things not nicely at all. And I, I do think, especially if you're sort of putting out your, your thoughts on Twitter because of you know character limits and people are maybe after the game a bit more reactionary than normal and you... And just stupid in general. There, there is that as also, but also the fact that you think of what you've just now seen. So like, for example, the Davies' chance off the post was largely as a result of Gomez not being facing the right way, not getting his feet sorted out and not doing enough to clear the ball. But that was like much earlier on in the game. And after that, he did three or four really good bits and they didn't score that goal. So it kind of gets overlooked as well that that was his role in it. So I thought he played well. He was probably overall among our better performers on the day in terms of the outfield players. But it wasn't a perfect performance and it wasn't a performance that, say, Liverpool were in normal good form, I would want to keep him in because of. It wasn't that good. It was it was decent, but not great. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, I think it was, you know, it was promising. This is a guy who's barely played in the better part of two years. You know, I wouldn't be surprised didn't... if this is what we see now from, from Gomez, like from this point onwards. Like that's the kind of level that he might be at, let's say, because I don't necessarily think he's going to get, you know, a two-month run in a team again anytime soon at all. So, and I think it's very difficult to find your best level or the level you were pre-injury unless you have that. But there's so much need now for us to be really good and obviously the team's not playing very well so I wouldn't be surprised if we see that level of performance from Gomez going forward. If he's not the starter all the time, he's good and most of the time it should be good enough to help us either keep a clean sheet or win but it's it's not elite. No, I think I think that's fair. I really do think that's fair. Um, Right, would you... So Virgil will start. Would you stick with Costas? Or would you bring Robbo back in? I'd probably stick with Costas on the balance of what we've seen so far. Yeah. So I expect and I actually think the four two three one was suiting Costas more than the four three three as well. Actually I think you said it on Raw as well. He seemed to have his best spell yeah. from half time up until when he got taken off. Yeah. Yeah, we did so, the yeah. balance and the overlaps were definitely better at that point. So I'd be inclined to keep him, but I expect it will be Robertson. Yeah. Robertson needs to get his shit together. So does Trent. But there's no alternative other than to play Trent unless you want to play Joe Gomez at right back. Again, because, if you hadn't just been playing all those games at centre-back, I probably would say OK, but yeah. maybe not. Now. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's OK because most of them have had, obviously, a, a week in between and this is the first one with three or four days, but... He might also sure. be a bit better suited to dealing with Kavicha as well. Do you reckon? I don't I don't think he's he's been quite there with his challenges to be honest one-on-one challenges and that's the best thing no but I think I think his his pace his strength and the fact that he won't commit to being as high forward as Trent will you know won't won't leave big gaps in behind um it'll be Trent our right back is the biggest problematic thing we face at the minute because of Trent's form and the lack Mm. of alternatives but it's another reason also that I'd have Matip because he's I think he's a bit better in terms of his positional work of where he sits inside the right back when players are cutting in on him yeah yeah so if we say Ali Trent Matip Virgil and Costas uh, I don't know why I called Matip by his surname and the rest of them by their first names 
Um, but I did. Uh, in midfield, Fabinho and Arthur. Um, I think that's, I think that's the two to go with. I just start that two and let's see what they can do. And let's see what Arthur can do in this game. Like you said, there's a lot of things in his favor. Champions League pace is slower. It's an Italian club, a club he knows. He'll know the players. He'll know pretty much everything that needs to be known. And obviously our team are fairly familiar with a lot of these Napoli players as well. Um, the three behind the striker then, I, I don't think there's any options here. I think, I think it has to be Salah, Firmino, Diaz. Um, like, I don't think we can leave Mo out. Um, I, I don't think we can leave Diaz out. I don't believe Jota is fit enough to start. He didn't look fit when he came on against Everton. No, he didn't. And I think Darwin has to be the nine. The only alternative I would suggest there is you could go with Mo as a nine, just to see how that one pans out this season, to see if we can get him a bit play more. Play Harvey right wing. Goal. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an option. But I think when you've paid the money we paid for Darwin, yeah. you kind of have to get him in the team and firing. The way City have done. like People are making a big deal, obviously, out of the fact that we're adapting to playing with a number nine. So are City. And City's results haven't been perfect yet, but they've been a lot better than ours. And their performances have been better than ours. And what they've done is they've just played the way they play. And then Haaland is like an extra bit on top where they're creating the same chances that they always created. It's just that they've now got him in the box to finish them. And I do wonder if we need to do something similar. Just play our football and make Darwin adapt to us rather than the other way around. I'd be inclined and, to agree if we weren't playing like crap. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there is there is that factor as well. So maybe in the short term, the best thing to do is to try and just, you know, put everything on his back and, and get him in positions where he's going to score goals and hope the rest of the team <laughs> come around. Look, might... Diaz, I think is, I think Diaz has started the season pretty well. Bobby's in decent form. Um, Fab, I think, has been... I think Fab's been much better than people have made him out to be. Um, so I don't think it's as catastrophic. I think that... I think it comes down to three players. Well, no, sorry. It comes down to four players. Thiago's injuries are a major issue because he has such a knock-on effect on everybody else. But the other three... Andy Robertson is in dreadful form and he was such a big part of what made us so good with his relentless energy, his overlapping, his aggression, his crossing and how strong he was at getting back defensively and how willing he was to put himself on the line. Now, he's still willing, he just doesn't seem to be able at the moment. So that's a big issue. The biggest issue, though, is the other side. It is Trent and it is Mo. I don't think Mo is playing badly. I just think he's being used badly. Trent is playing... I mean, I don't want to say it's the worst form of his career because he had an awful start in the 2021 season. Remember he got COVID and he was absolutely shocking for like three months and then he kind of got over the long COVID part and was, was back to being Trent. It's it's there with that in terms of how bad he's playing. I wonder has he had COVID again or something? It just it's it's so bizarre. He looks lethargic. His passing is off. 
His attitude doesn't look quite right. I mean, there's moments where he does very good things, and I certainly wouldn't question, other than the Sancho goal at Old Trafford, I wouldn't really question the effort. But he just looks... He looks like he's getting pissed off really quickly in games. And we've seen in the past with Trent, when people got him wound up and he started to narc at referees and bite back at players, he would lose focus. He just seems to lose focus really early in games. And his passing's been largely poor. His crossing's been an abomination. Even things like his touch. Like, there was a moment against Everton where he had a simple ball at his feet and he managed to tap it with his left foot before he struck it with his right foot and just skewed it out of play. And these are like basic things that shouldn't affect him, even in bad form. He should still be able to make the same contact with the ball, but he just doesn't seem to be right now. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a case with him of just having to let him play himself back into form, to be honest. It's what he's done quite a few times before now, even if it's not lasted as long as that big one that you mentioned. And But also, of course, because we don't really have any alternatives. So I don't really want to see here. James Milner up against, um, well, anyone at all, to be perfectly honest, but uh, especially against Kvaratskhelia for this game, because that would be a torturous period of fixture. If if Klopp starts, if Klopp starts Milner at right back, I might call from to go after this game. <laughs> Quite frankly, I might just have to, oh, because dear. like it's one thing to make a mistake; it's it's another thing completely. To just you know try and fix a match against the team you're you're managing, um, yeah, Fiji would anyway. James Milner might he might actually have to retire after that game. Like I was reading uh, a while back about Gary Neville and his last game, and it was on New Year's Day 2011, and he hadn't played in a couple of weeks, and Ferguson put him in the team at right back, obviously, and he said at halftime he went in and he sat in the toilet. And he just sat there. He didn't need to use or anything. He just sat there. And he realized, I can't play anymore. I'm done. I have to end this. I'm done. And Ferguson spent about five weeks trying to talk him out of it. And eventually Neville got his way. So he retired in early February. But he, he knew at half time in a game that he was done. Now, I have I have watched that game back since reading that about Gary Neville. And Gary Neville wasn't nearly as bad in that game as James Milner was in his right-back cameo at the weekend. So, you know, we're getting to that point with Milner. He, the guy can't play anymore. He hasn't been able to play for a couple of years. Every so often he'll give you an okay performance. But he can't play. He sh- like I said on Raw, he should be doing one of three things. He should be sitting in a studio being a pundit. He should be handing out bibs and setting out cones at like Leeds training ground or somewhere and playing in the League Cup with the kids to give them a bit of veteran leadership. Or he should be playing in lower league football because that's the level of James Milner now. And if Klopp picks him to start in in any position, I don't care where it is, I am going to be a very, very grumpy man come raw. I'm just warning people in advance, like this is what's going to happen. So are we settled then on on a suggested lineup of a four two three one with Ali, Trent, Joel, Virgil, Costas, Fab and Arthur as a two, Salah, Bobby, Lucho behind Darwin? I think so, yeah. And for them, Mere, Di Lorenzo and Rui at fullbacks, 
Kiminjai Rahman, uh, Rahmani. Lobotka, Zamogisa, Zielinski, and then Kvaratskhelia, Litano, I think, and Dosimian. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's right, and I think that is a very difficult game for us. Now, if we were playing like Liverpool, I, I think we would go there and beat them. But we are currently playing like I don't know, like a team of imposters, and I I don't want to say that it'll. It's you know I don't. Wanna, it there's a feel of this season, Carl, that reminds me a little bit of thirteen. Of, of sorry, of fourteen fifteen, where you know we should have won the league, and then the following season we came into the year with like a massive hangover, and it started badly. The summer had been a disaster. We we bought really badly. I don't think we've bought badly this summer at all. I just don't think we've bought enough. But we lost a vital player. Now, Suarez was a bigger part of that team than Mane was of the team he just left, because Suarez was that team. But, you know, we had a couple of injuries to key players like Sturridge, and we never really got ourselves going. And by the time we did, it was too late, and we had a decent run in the second half of the season. But we went from well, we should be nailed on for top four this year, having you know done what we did last year, to I think we finished sixth. I don't want to say that's how it's going to end, but there's just something about this season that reminds me of that season. Well, hopefully you get that out of your head very, very quickly, because I don't want that for the next nine months. No, neither do I. Neither <laughs> do I at all. It was horrible that year. And obviously, it like by the end of that year, Rodgers should have been sacked. There's no suggestion that Klopp should be sacked at all. And even if we do have a bad season and finish sixth, I don't think it would be reason to move on from Jürgen. Um, I think the only way Jürgen would leave the club would be if, if he decided that I just can't, I can't take this squad any further than they already have. Um, but there's just, there's a weird feel about this season. Now, look, all it will take is Trent to rediscover his form, Mo to catch fire and Darwin to start banging in goals. And we could easily run our way up the table. Like the frustrating thing, I think the biggest frustration I have this season is that we have had, I think, when before the season when the fixtures come out, most Liverpool fans looked at the first six games and thought that's six wins. That's 18 points. And if we had those 18 points that we should have, we would be four points ahead of City because they've had a couple of wobbles. Instead, we're five points behind them. And they're, you know, in the same situation as us, trying to transition to a new way of playing with a with a number nine. It's just that their handling there is a lot better. They've also got some injuries, not as many as us, obviously. But, you know, Merrick Laporte is, is a massive loss for them. Um, Kyle Walker's had some injury issues and he's played through them a bit. Calvin Phillips has been out. Uh, Aki was out for you know, a couple of games, but them dropping points makes our failure to capitalize even more frustrating for me. I don't look at it as like, oh, it's okay that we drop points because they did as well. It actually annoys me more that they've dropped points and we have as well. Uh, I mean, I don't really think that it's relevant at this moment in time anymore you've got to sort your own shit out first before you start worrying about who you can catch or what you're doing or anything and at the minute we're not you know it's not about 
first or top four or anything at the minute. It's we have to get Liverpool playing the way Liverpool is supposed to be playing because we're just not. That's that's really all that matters at the moment, and it's not just for the Premier League, but for all the other competitions as well. Because as much as people might not care or might care about the cups, we're defending them this year, and you can't go into a competition if you get a, you know, a championship or a lower half Premier League side and start defending your tournament and all the rest of it by losing 3-1 because you're playing rubbish and the players aren't there mm. and the system's not in order and all the rest of it. So it just has to be sorted out. Game by game is all we can do. And obviously for the players themselves, training session by training session all the day. But it just it has to be an improvement from this point because the start of the season has been so many miles below par. The fact that we are actually only, what, four or five points behind City at this point is quite honestly a nonsense uh, compared to how we've actually been playing because I think we've been miles off it, absolutely miles off it. And James Milner says, I feel good and you're a long time retired, so I want to keep playing for as long as I can. And let's, play, let's face it, there are worse places to be playing football uh, than for Liverpool Football Club. That's fine, James. That's fine. You are a long time retired, so go and play for, like, Coventry or somebody. But, you know... You can't play at our level anymore. It's just as simple as that. Right. Uh, predictions, Mr. Matchett. Predictions. 2-1 Napoli. What say you? 2-1 Napoli. 2-1 Napoli. The only reason I see us getting anything out of this game is if we change quite a lot of how we've played so far this season. Yeah. I'm going to go 1-1, but I, I, I do feel like a defeat here is, is the likely outcome. Because they they're just they're playing really well. They've got they've got two attackers in particular that absolutely terrify me in Kavicha and, and Osman. I love him. They terrify me. Absolutely love Osman. I mean, I, and, I said this at the start of the season. I've seen him a lot more than I had Darwin Nunez, and so there's obviously an element of mm. me choosing who I'm more comfortable and familiar with out of the two. But by a million miles, I would have chosen him. Comfortably. The obviously, problem is the price yeah, would have been. I'm, I'm not saying we should sign him and we shouldn't have signed Darwin Nunez. Nothing like that. Just out of the two, players yeah. that Champions League clubs who Liverpool could potentially look out for the position, I would have had Osimhen a long way ahead of Darwin Nunez for sure. There's there's a lot of runway for both to get a lot better, but for how he is at the minute, it's it's not a forward line and not a striker you want to go up against if your midfield in particular is not protecting the defense very well. Agreed. Agreed. Or, or if you simply just don't have a midfield, as the case is for us. Um, yeah. I mean, look, if we'd signed... If we'd signed um, Osman and not signed a midfielder, you could kind of understand it, because that would have been the whole budget. Um, and, you know, then maybe you could, you could rationalise the whole thing. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, guy, is, the guy is sensational. Uh, I, I'd actually like. I actually think they could play together as a two. I think they could actually thrive as a two. I think they would play greedy. really well with. No, I'm just. I'm always <laughs> greedy. I'm always greedy. Um. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I'm just gonna say one one, but I, 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 it, it's, it's a very biased one one. Um, right, we will leave it there. We will be back later in the week. Uh, I, are we playing Wolves at the weekend? Is that right? Or is my brain fried itself? Yeah, we're playing yeah. Wolves. So we'll be... Wolves. Yes, the poor fella with an ACL tear in his debut. 
so not ideal. And Raul Jimenez is also uh, got a bit of a niggle with his groin. So uh, it might be a good time to play Wolves. Though their midfield against our midfield is not something I'm looking forward to at all. Uh, right, we'll leave it there. We'll be back later in the week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.